There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Things are only impossible until they are not. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a podcast on all shows in the Star Trek universe on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... I'm Sean Fangirl S. And I'm Richard Dave, and tonight we'll be discussing Episode 4 of Season 2 of Star Trek Picard. All right, what did you guys think of this one? Uh, it's a building episode, building episode, I'd say. I gave it, uh, I know we're not rating, but if we did, I'd give it 3 out of 5 Allison Pills, Sights, Dixon Hill. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's just uh, one of those building block episodes where you have to set the stage for larger things or things to come if you if that can be set. Right. Yeah. It started the track meet. <laughs> yeah. Three days. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. Better get going now. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it because of basically what you were saying, that it's building and like, you know, showing us the little pieces that have to help form the whole picture for us. So I'm like, hmm, okay, interesting, interesting. And then, of course, going down rabbit holes with everything. <laughs> like, hmm. It's never ending. So I, I liked some of the throwbacks that we had. One in particular. Oh, yes. We're going to talk about. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. I was <laughs> really surprised. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. So just the fact that we got, like I said, all the little pieces that we're going to start seeing the whole picture very soon. I hope. How many episodes of this? Picard, this I think ah. 10. 10. Oh, almost halfway there. Yes. Yeah, well, I enjoyed this, it too. <laughs> I wouldn't say with this telling us three days, that kind of has me a little worried. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like, okay, we're going to have episodes lasting only six hours <laughs> of, real, of their time. <laughs> I, I don't mind if they go longer. You know, then 45 minutes, they can, you know, stretch that a bit. I'm cool. <laughs> Give me more story. Absolutely. All right, uh, Sean, take us in. All right. Let's talk about episode four, Watcher. With time running out to save the future, Picard takes matters into his own hands and seeks out an old friend for help. Meanwhile, Rio ends up on the wrong side of the law and Girardi makes a deal with the Borg Queen. Mm. Just want to make sure the Borg Queen doesn't have all the cards. Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so, know. I'm I'm just going to say now that the Borg Queen was acting very straight. She's so 21st century. Yes. <laughs> you know, she only when she gets mad does her voice uh, vibrate in Borg talk or whatever that's mechanical, electronic. It just seems really weird. I think Agnes affected her way more than she expected. Mm, yeah. Let's hope so, at least. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we begin with Rafi and Seven tracking down Rios' comm badge and bursting into the clinic. But, of course, they're too late. You know, in all my notes, I always write down Seven. That's the number Seven. Not even Annika. Yeah. <laughs> you know, seven's so easy. 
And maybe that they call her seven. So what the heck? Yep. Someone there is cleaning up after the raid, and she tells them that Chris has been taken to into custody. That's Gabby, or is it Gabby? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she warns that if they don't find him soon, ICE will make sure he disappears forever. Wow. Back in France, Jean-Luc cloaks La, Ser- La Serena, and he and Agnes go into the house in search of a source of warmth while the ship is self-repairing. What do they have? Programmable matter? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just crash <laughs> through all those trees. Someone's going to have to pull all those leaves out of the intakes. Yeah. <laughs> There's little robots doing that. We just don't see them. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I can see how it would repair itself electronically, but physically. Right. Yeah. How do you take care of all the mechanical damage yeah, that's yeah. been done? In, in F1 racing, uh, they used to have lifts that would come out of the bottom of the car and lift it up. Now they just use the old-fashioned lifts. It's something with wheels that they it's, makes the car less complicated. I I picture less serena as having like lifts so at least take itself up like feet right feet off the ground so some type of for a fair repairs could be affected still who's gonna do that yeah <laughs> agnes she's gonna have to get out her monkey wrench and fix that too yeah <laughs> so jean-luc figures out that agnes subconscious is is servicing the number 15 and agnes calls him dixon hill you're a thrill. Dixon Hill, the thrill. I realized that uh, it has to do with the information she lifted from the board queen, specifically the divergence in the timeline will happen on April 15, 2024, three days from now. That gives they should have it for March. You know, if it would be the Ides of March and that would have been ooh cool. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good. That gives the mission a new sense of urgency since Gerardi and Picard still can't reach their other crew members. Jean-Luc decides that he needs to go and seek the watcher himself. Fate. Agnes is left alone with the Borg Queen, which is never a good thing. Jean-Luc heads to the coordinates that Agnes got from the Borg Queen and materializes a very familiar place. Forward Street, number 10. I like how he grabs his head. He's like, of course. Of course, yeah. (laughs) I was cracking up when that popped up. I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) They couldn't have just kind of thought, maybe I'll try this first. Well, you have to know where that bar is, too. It's around the corner and down the alleyway. I mean, kind of cool, but (laughs) you're not going to get a lot of walking traffic when it's buried down an alleyway. Yep. Maybe maybe that's the point. (laughs) Whatever he's been guided to, it's clear that Guinan is going to play a key role. This Guinan is not the person we're familiar with, though. She's a younger, for one. Elorians are very long-lived, and Guinan points out in the season premiere they can age when they choose to, but not if they have to. Uh... If they don't have to, she doesn't recognize Picard, which is interesting, given they should have already met. In the Next Generation episode, Time Zeros, part one and two, the Enterprise crew travels back in time to the 1800s and encounters Guinan from that time period living on Earth. It's not clear how that fits into this timeline, but this Guinan doesn't recognize Jean-Luc. That's strange. Yes, it was. And did I you didn't think even realize it, that. Yeah, I did. And it was like, huh, wait a yeah. minute here. <laughs> Well, it's like Doctor Who. It's timey-wimey, you know. Oh, there's no doubt about that. It hasn't happened yet. Well, this had because this was in the 1800s. Yeah. Yes, but in the timeline for Jean-Luc, it hadn't happened, right? No, it did. Yeah. Maybe because the future was changed. Maybe that's Not yet it hasn't. Got three days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if they'll bother to explain it, but I I think they probably will. Terry Metalis has something to say about it. Yes, I'm sure he will come up with something that will explain it away. Well, she's also not inclined to help him. She's angry and delusioned, upset that Earth has so much potential, yet humans are intent on squandering it. Preach, mama, preach. (laughs) (laughs) 
She's ready to give up on the planet altogether and move on. It's bar closing day, though John Luke begs her not to. I thought it was hilarious that she thought he was a robber. <laughs> I know. He recognizes liquor, though. So, oh, look at this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Rafi and Seven are on a bus. Where have we seen that before? Yeah. And someone is playing very loud music on a boombox. Seven basically snaps at him, and happily this time, he agrees to shut off the music. He didn't have a, a Vulcan around to give him a, a pinch. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently he remembers, though. Yes. <laughs> and Seven is able to have a conversation with Rafi about Elnor. It's clear that Rafi blames herself for Elnor's death. She's angry and impulsive as a result. At the police station, they try to track down Rios, but are not having any luck because Rafi is just <laughs> going <Crazy>? off. <laughs> yeah. I love that what Seven was the one who was, you know, completely calm and like <sighs> using all the right verbiage this time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just get her behind the wheel of something, though. That all changes back. Oh, right? yeah. A good Samaritan tells Rafi that they are at the wrong place and they need to find immigration and customs. And we then finally get to see Rios, who's in a grim looking detention center. It's clear the ICE officers are getting ready to deport these people, denying them access to legal representation and treating them terribly. Yeah, that guy was a dick. Oh, yes, he was. And boy, that. Uh... <laughs> I was really worried and still um, that that guy could be a big reason that everything goes sideways. The ICE officer? Yes. Huh. I don't know. Interesting. Because just watching it, I'm like. Oh, I mean, oh, the policeman. He's... I mean, I'm sorry. Not the yeah. ICE officer, a policeman. <laughs> I was just like, he is such a jackass. And then when all of it kind of went down. I was like, oh, what if he's the reason? Something's going to go weird because of him. That's all. Huh. I, that's just in my head. And I hope I'm wrong. And I hope we never see that jackass again. But, I think we will. But uh, it's him getting a comeuppance. He'll be on the other side of the, the bars. Yes. <laughs> that would be lovely as <laughs> yes. he deserves it. Yeah. Now, Teresa finds Rios and assures him she's okay. And that's because she's a citizen and she'll be getting out of here. Rios isn't so lucky. Rafi breaks into a police car using the phaser, no less, that was <laughs> I told would, not to. I would probably choose the fun way, too. <laughs> yeah. And accesses the immigration and customs database. Unfortunately, they discover that Rios is being held 25 miles away. Now, Rafi contacts La Serena to see about transport, and it's a good news, bad news situation. Good news is that Agnes responds and the communicators are working again, but the bad news is the transporters still aren't operational. Well, it's a good thing they're inside a police vehicle. Or is it? <laughs> After a little coaxing, Seven turns the car on and it's immediately clear she's never got a holodeck driving lesson from Tom Paris on Star Trek Voyager. And she got a driving lesson from Popeye Doyle from the French Connection. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Car chase ensues with the police in pursuit, and Raffi and Seven bickering was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm like, man, they uh, got that report out really fast about a stolen police car. Yes. <laughs> Probably breaking the gate had something to do with it. Uh, yeah, possibly. I think so. <laughs> that could be it. 
Well, and there was two officers just right outside the building. Yeah. When they first get in the car and in the vehicle, and it's like, yeah, this is not going to go well. So Girardi tries to get the transporters online, and the Borg Queen creepily offers her help. Oh, my God. She, she doesn't know any other way anyway. Yeah, yes. I was like, creepily, that's a really good description, though. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can have me. Kind of what you talking about, Girardi? Yeah. <laughs> At least she didn't start snapping around her. Uh, maybe she did her vertebrae, you know. Yes. Her, like she's all turned on or something like, oh, gross. <laughs> oh, Meanwhile, Jean-Luc has told Guinan the sketchy details of their miss- mission, that he's from the future and he's trying to prevent an alteration in the timeline. What he hasn't told her is his name to prevent things from getting even more messed up. He asks her to have patience with humanity, and Guinan rightly points out that it's someone like Picard who has the luxury of patience versus someone who looks like her. That's there, not good. There was yeah. a whole lot going on in this episode. Oh, yes, there just, was. About just, yeah, reality. like commentary. Yes. commentary. Yeah. yes, and I was just really blown away by a lot of it. In a good way, you know, but it was just like, wow. You know, all those people who are always out there saying, oh, why do they have to do that? It's supposed to be science fiction. No, this has always been like a mirror, you know, yeah. for reality. Yeah. This and like, you know, Marvel mutants. It's it's all the same. All the superheroes. It was a commentary. And I'm glad they're not pulling back. It's just I feel like it's a little bit more open in this one as it has been in the past. But I'm loving the fact that they're not pulling away and not like trying to, okay, we'll see if they understand this by putting this in really quietly. Yeah. Right. That's Terry Metalis too. Although uh, his buddy Travis, is it Fricket or Ficket? Anyway, he gets a writing credit. Yes. On this episode. He did. They're amazing. All right. Let's go back to the detention center. Teresa is allowed to leave with an Uber. But that terrible ICE officer informs Rio said he's going to be deported on a bus. Um, You have no clue where he's supposed to be. And you're just like, yeah, we're going to deport you. You just sending him wherever the hell. It's like, really? It just seems so weird. But hey, Chris finally decides to cooperate and gives his full name and the true story of how he ended up in that cell. <laughs> I was dying. Yes. <laughs> Jason and I both looked at each other. And we're like, oh, yeah, this is going to go over great. It's like, hey, you wanted the information? There you go. Of course, the officer doesn't believe him, which Rios fully expected. Although I did kind of expect them to go, all right, he needs a psych email. That cop is going to remember everything and try to convince everyone he'll be on the other side of the bars in a mental hospital. Yes. (laughs) He'll be getting a psych email. There we go. Of course, Rios ends up on the bus headed to the Sanctuary District, which you guys mentioned last week. And time is running out for Seven and Rafi to rescue him. Agnes resorts to asking the Borg Queen for help with the transporters because she can't get them back online in time. The Queen, the Queen taunts Agnes like we expected anything less and talks about how she's always alone. But Agnes turns that around. I really liked Agnes doing that. And I'm like, wow, she sounds very mean girl. But you know what? I think that's (laughs) the only thing the Borg Queen's going to respond to. Uh, Absolutely. There's a lot of bickering in this episode. I mean, Guinan. And Jean-Luc, Queen and Agnes, and then those, the girls in the car. (laughs) Yeah. Seven and Rafi. Was there, was there anybody else like snapping at each other? Well, Chris and the ICE agent. 
Yeah, yeah, there you go. We found our theme. Yeah, they're <laughs> Agnes promises that if the Borg Queen promises to assist her, then Gerardi will talk to her. Apparently, the Queen agrees because Gerardi manages to pull Raffi and Seven out in just the nick of time, which I thought was really funny because they're in the middle of a car chase during this. Like, Gerardi okay. says, hit the brakes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the cops are like, wait, what? What happened? There's yeah. something in here. <laughs> they end up materializing by a deserted stretch of road and have to figure out how the heck they're going to hijack a bus without drawing attention to themselves. Yeah, that's probably not going to Not going to happen. No. <laughs> Meanwhile, Agnes once again limits the Borg Queen's access to the La Serena and leaves her alone. Just surprised the heck out of me because is she taking time for herself or is she reneging on their deal? But... Holy crap, the Borg Queen? I don't think I've ever heard any of them react that way. No. <laughs> she got a bit of her own medicine and did not like it at all. <laughs> I think a lot of Agnes's emotions are affecting her. Like, And I don't know how this is going to play out, but I thought it was pretty interesting. She don't like being alone. No. Jean-Luc, meanwhile, is getting nowhere with Guinan, and she's about to climb in her car and drive off into the sunset after she gave her dog Luna to a friend, which made me a little sad. Yes. I'm like, oh, no, not the dog. Is that the same dog that played number one? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was cute. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. (laughs) Is this going to be number one? And (laughs) No, it can't be. (laughs) No, that would... Could be a descendant of... uh... No. Finally, Jean-Luc gives her the last bit of information he has in order to convince her it's his name. And apparently it works. It's not clear if it's because she recognizes the name or senses some sort of trans-temporal importance around it, but she tells him to get in the car. Man, her attitude changed pretty quick. Yes, it did. Which makes me wonder what the heck is going on. (laughs) Well, it was funny because earlier he mentions a, a line that she had told him, which <laughs> caused her to get sick, get sick. And Picard knew what he was doing. And he actually tells her that, yeah, this is what I did this on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> Try to get done. you to believe me. I know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> Afkel, A-F-K-E-L, Afkel, time sickness. Yep. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. Like, did I don't remember a lot from the series. So do you guys remember hearing that previously? No. No? You do? I don't know. Yeah, I do. Okay. So I'm glad I'm not the only one. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So Guinan tells Jean-Luc that he's looking for a supervisor, who's also known as a watcher. They're assigned to protect the destiny of certain people, but it's not clear who's in charge of the whole thing. Could it have something to do with protecting the timeline? As we've seen from the time ship in Star Trek Voyager. Question mark, question mark. Mark, yeah. (laughs) Guinan takes Jean-Luc to a face-to-face meeting with the Watcher that he, of course, has been waiting to meet. Apparently, the Watcher has the ability to take over other people. She wants to make sure Jean-Luc is not being followed before she reveals herself. Which Boy, that, that had me. was crazy, creepy as. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was, but I'm like. I, I, I wish the first girl was actually two little girls, twins. Oh yeah. my God. No. God, creepy. <laughs> first of all, I'm thinking, where is this kid's parents? Right. That this little kid just grabbing some dude's hand. And it's like, come on, let's go. It's like, what is happening right now? <laughs> 
And I want to know who would be following him to the watcher. Like the watcher is super paranoid about it. So yeah, I didn't get like, that either. Hmm, who's coming? Well, to the I kind of got a little theory about this. I kind of think these watchers are maybe not necessarily a, another branch of the Q, but I think they're right there as far as powers go with the Q. And actually, they may be stronger because of what we saw at the end. Yeah. So, yeah, oh, I kind of have a feeling we're going to have a <laughs> an alien uh, throwdown here before the end of this is over with. <laughs> an omnipotent standoff? Yep. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting. But let's go back to Jean-Luc following a string of creepy people who have their eyes clouded over. The people weren't creepy. It was just creepy when it happened. Yeah. And then he finally gets to meet the Watcher herself. We assume it's the Watcher. And I love it. He's like, are you a friend of Guinan? And he's like, no. Turn around and it's Loris? Or at least looks a lot like her. Yep. But not because she's human. And it's Mm. clear that this is not the person Picard knows and possibly loves. I'm thinking that's probably a yes. Yep. And she grabs him pretty roughly, turns him around and transports him away into, I don't know, a box? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Shadow box. Yeah, I'm like, what Cloud is box. this? And that really kind of freaked me out. Yeah, because you don't know for sure if it's friendly or not. Right. <laughs> and then we have one more scene, which I think had all of us cracking. Hmm, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> a young woman who we haven't met yet walks out of a building reading a book and an older man is watching her. Turns out that it's Q and he's talking to her about her fear and saying she can't do whatever it is she's supposed to do. At first, I'm just thinking, okay, it's some guy on a phone. Right. No. (laughs) I'm like, okay, creepy. Right. You know, it's not like she's the only one out there. There's several other people out there and here Q's just rattling on and is like, what? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe he's supposed to be blending in and nobody knows. Maybe they all think he's on the phone or something. It could be. Because he's wearing a Europa Mission lab coat and reading about space exploration. So it's quite possible that this young woman is involved with some sort of space mission. Yeah, she works there. Yeah. yeah. The, the Europa Mission. He snaps his fingers, presumably to make her fear and doubt stronger than anything else in her head. Is this how he changes the timeline? I was like, oh, no, but nothing happened. Instead, she laughs. That's unexpected and most unfortunate, Q says. This is very strange because they never say her name, but right. she is listed in the credits as yep. a Picard. Renee. So that, that's why I was like, hmm. But that would be, that definitely adds a little bit more to what Q is doing. He's going to use one of his dis- past relatives to <laughs> change the timeline. Yeah, I was like, you what, scurvy what dog. is he doing? Because I thought he wanted it corrected, but he seems to be trying to screw things up. So that's where my questions were like, wait, what is going on? Right. And I love the fact that she's reading a Dixon Hill novel. Right. The pallid man. <laughs> so, another, another Terry Metallus leftover. Yeah. Monkey. Yes. <laughs> so we're getting some uh, Easter eggs sprinkled in. But this also seems to show that Jean-Luc was right, that there's something wrong with Q and his powers. 
And like I said, it seems like he's trying to interfere, even though it seemed like he wanted it corrected. Or is something much larger going on here? And what the heck is wrong with Q? Or is it the Watcher? Who yeah. does the Watcher work for? Who's the Watcher is protecting all of the Picards across the timeline, which is what Guinan explained earlier. That was our Q. Uh, right. Clue. <laughs> and so when he uh, when the Watcher's been protecting Rene Picard, Q doesn't know about that interference, apparently. Right. And he can he can create all the uh, he's never done anything to Jean-Luc, but he's done he's done stuff all around him. And he and he can't do anything to uh, Rene Picard either. But he can he probably still do stuff around her. And the, that if we can go by the timeline is the event is still three days away. So. He might try to affect something that's around them, or I don't know what. But he, he can't harm a, a Picard. So do you think, and this is just me just having this question, that he's going to try to use somebody to hurt this Picard? Well, it's possible. Possible. But the, a Watcher protects all Picard, so I, I don't think he can even steer her into a, a car accident or something right, like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> Not as long as the Watch is around. Okay. That, that was my question. That was one of the, the many rabbit holes I went down. And yeah, they're like, oh, no, he's going to get was, killed. And I'm like, then Picard wouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's odd that, that uh, it's Laris. You know, the first thing I did was look at the ears. Actually, I went right by the whoa, whoa, whoa. I had to rewind yeah, and look at the no ears. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. So not Rhymeland. I don't, I don't think it's the same person, but uh, I've yet to come up with a crackpot theory as to why we see Laris, unless the future watcher, um, I don't know. Well, couldn't couldn't Laris actually be a watcher in the original timeline? Because she does save him, and she doesn't she say well, something? Well, she's in she's Romulan. She's it? probably pretty organic Romulan, and she wants to love him. And the she he can't be the last Picard. So I'm thinking a watcher chose a Laris visage. Oh, okay. In, to in try to help convince him yeah. of what he really wants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something that, you know, is easily easily recognizable and feels safe with. Right. You know. Oh, there's no but doubt I, that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I don't I don't think that's Lars in the in this twenty twenty four. Right. But I do think that's a real Romulan Lars in the future. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking it's somebody who he would listen to. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, looks like Laris and couldn't be Romulan on Earth because Romulans aren't around yet. So in case anybody sees them, you know, she has to look human. Right. Like that guy in the bus. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was so great. What planet was he from? (laughs) I was like, wow, okay, this hardcore punk scene still. All right. Yeah, that's funny. So we got a few uh, Easter eggs. And... uh, could have an explanation to how Picard got his English accent. Why does the guy from France speak with an English accent? It's essentially act English. Because for decades, uh, the do- the doylist, uh, real world reason, has dominated the Trek discourse. John Gene Roddenberry, sorry, it's not John, <laughs> conceived of Picard as French. But when nobody would agree on a French actor to cast, uh, there was a Belgian actor, Patrick Beauchot, who was briefly considered Patrick Stewart, won the role. Sir Patrick Stewart, that is. Yes. <laughs> Despite Picard dropping a mat in the Star Trek Next Generation classic Elementary Dear Data and singing in French in Disaster, there is not a ton in the Next Generation to indicate the very English-seeming guy is actually French. And yet, 
with one very brief scene in The Watcher, a brilliant Watsonian in-universe explanation has finally been offered to Jean-Luc's very English-Frenchness. A very French-English, yes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After he and Gerardi sneak into the 21st century version of Chateau Picard. I think I asked this guy, of you guys, have you had any Chateau Picard, the wine? Right, yeah, you mentioned yeah, that you last time. Yeah, I did. No. Okay, get out to the liquor store. Jean-Luc <laughs> explains that the house was abandoned by his family during World War II as they fled from the Nazis. These guys know a lot about our past, by the way. Yes. I mean, 400 years ago, and these guys are Rafi's riffing off it, telling out everything she knows. <laughs> Come on. My ancestors only survived by hiding in the tunnels, Picard said. When Gerardi asked him where they went, he replies, England. Though the Chateau remained in the family, there were various caretakers. It'll be generations, generations, before the Picard reside here again. <laughs> so there you have it. It's very possible that the Picard family, as we know it in Star Trek canon, resided in England until someone into, into the late 23rd century. In fact, aspects of the flashback from the season premiere of the Stargazers certainly indicate it was Picard's mother and father who emigrated back to La Barre, France. In these flashbacks, it seems as though Chateau Picard is a new home for young Jean Lutz's immediate family. Yeah, that's pretty much how I encapsulated it. Right. I said, yeah, okay. Yep. Those did kind first, of bug me, though. <laughs> yeah, they were the first ones to come back yeah. to the chateau. So, in the voyage home, the bus punk returns. Again, as Seven and Raffi attempt to track down Rios, they hit up some Los Angeles public transportation and encounter a very familiar punk blasting a new version of a, of a familiar old song. Yes, that's Kirk Thatcher. Kirk, credited as Kirk Randolph Thatcher, who played the punk on the bus in Star Trek for The Voyage Home, and in 1966 blasted the rage rock punk song I Hate You on a boombox until Spock gave him the Vulcan nerve pinch. <laughs> you know what? I just thought if uh, Raffi had that uh, phaser on her at that point, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, where'd that guy go? This is the second time Kirk Thatcher has played the punk in Star Trek canon, but the third time he's played this character overall. In 2017, he appeared as the punk in Spider-Man Homecoming, mostly because Marvel boss Kevin Feige is a big Star Trek fan. Thatcher also narrated the 2019 animated uh, Short Treks episode Ephraim and D.O.T., which is directed by Michael Giacchino. In Picard's Watcher, the punk seems to be blasting a new version of the song, I Hate You, still called I Still Hate You, which is a joke that works on several different levels. <laughs> First, the original song, I Hate You, was not a real song, but instead was invented by the quickly formed band Edge of Etiquette, which consisted of Kirk Thatcher and Mark Mangini in the 80s. Not really reaching. Yeah. <laughs> Dasher was a producer and a prop maker who worked on several Star Trek films while Mangini was a sound engineer in The Voyage Home. I Hate You was written on the fly for The Voyage Home to create some extra authentic grit to shock Kirk and Spock's sensibilities. Well, Interesting. I did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, the 2024 punk in Picard is considerably nicer than his 1986 counterpart. And it seems bewildered when Seven says, would you mind stopping that noise? Echoing Captain McCurds, would you mind stopping that damn noise in the voyage home? This is played as a joke, however, because the future timeline of Starfleet has been altered. It would seem that this version of the punk never met Kirk and Spock in 1986, but perhaps recognizes the statement from Seven because of kind of time sickness. Later, when Park, uh, Picard meets the younger Guinan, uh, he mentioned this is kind of time sickness that repeated the face Guinan said to him from the redacted future. I could try and pronounce her name. Her first name is Ido. That's pretty easy. Agahere. Agare, yeah. Agare. Yeah. Okay. Arguably, the punk's sudden change of heart is connected to Seven's accidentally paraphrasing Jim Kirk. The punk heard something from an alternate timeline, which kind of foreshadows the time sickness moment with Guinan. 
This also makes you wonder if this punk is the key to a multiverse that can span entire franchises. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I think it's just a fun inside joke. Yeah. <laughs> if you can appear in the MCU and Star Trek, the multiverse was broken by Peter Parker and Spider-Man No Way Home. Does that mean this punk could use Jean-Luc Picard to meet Professor X, also Patrick Stewart? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Probably not. Okay. We thought I went down rabbit holes. Yes. This is going a whole different rabbit hole. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, they're the just multiverse of rabbit holes right there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For uh, most of the episode, Jean Luc assumes that the coordinates from the Borg Queen were designed to lead him to the Watcher, who can, in theory, help the crew with fixing the timeline or just protecting the cards. Hmm. And once he finds Guinan living on Earth, he insists that she must be the Watcher he's been looking for. However, it turns out that the younger Guinan is not a Watcher. And tells Picard that you're looking for a supervisor, otherwise known as a watcher. They're peppered throughout the galaxy to assign to protect the destiny of certain individuals. Picards. Yep. The word supervisor is almost certainly a reference to Gary Seven, which is Robert Lansing, a class one supervisor from the original original uh, series episode, Assignment Earth. In that episode, Gary was a human from the 20th century Earth assigned there by a greater alien te- intelligence to prevent meddling from time travelers. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, I remember that yes. episode quite clearly. That was a uh, a backdoor pilot. They were going to give him his own uh, Show. series, yep. but it, it just didn't take. Gary, <laughs> he had a cat. Gary's <laughs> transfer had an interesting fog effect. Now, if the cat was named uh, a, a queen or grudge, then then mind blown. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Gary's, trans, uh, Gary's transporter had an interesting fog effect. When the human-looking Laris meets Jean-Luc at the end of the episode, they banish what seems to be a similar fog transporter. Oh, really? Is, yep. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, that's cool. So they're throwing it way back to the original. Yeah. Oh. All right. Cool. Is this new supervisor a version of Laris part of the same organization that Gary Seven was part of? Well, they brought uh, – what do they call the guy on the on the, uh, city on the edge of forever? Right. Um. <laughs> yeah, I know. I couldn't remember, but that that being had a name too. It wasn't just right. a, gate, a gate too, and it actually took on that human form later on. What was that season two, or was it season three of uh, three? Three. It was yeah. three of Discovery. Yeah. Okay. If so, Picard is like, seriously expanding the uh, canon of a one small and tantalizing part of the original series that hasn't been touched on the screen canons in 1968, but. Now it's a, another reference. Yep. Well, back there. Interesting, the writer of Assignment Earth, Art Wallace, and, tri- and Trek creator Gene Roddenberry briefly pitched the plastic, basic premise of the supervisors in the Gary Seven as a futuristic agent on the present-day Earth as a full spin-off series of Star Trek. Seemingly, one early version of this episode was a standalone pilot for a series without a Trek connection. It had been, if it had been picked up, the Assignment Earth show would have been the first spin-off of Trek, which, if you squint, is kind of a... Pu- what Picard season two is doing now. Fingers crossed <laughs> for a new Gary Seven and his cat Isis at some later point in Picard. <laughs> <laughs> so at the very end of, of the episode, Q is sitting outside of something called Jason Roykirk Plaza. It seems to be connected to the Europa mission, which we've seen a few billboards for in around 2024. As far as deep cuts go, Jason Roykirk is pretty deep. The name comes from the TOS episode, original series, the changeling in which we learned that Roykirk was responsible for the AI space probe called Nomad, which, in Star Trek timeline, was launched from Earth in 2002. I am Nomad. Yeah. (laughs) 
In the change lane, the Enterprise encounters a highly modified version of Nomad, which at some point has merged with an alien intelligence called Tanru. But since the Starfleet-centric future is still hanging in the balance, what's most interesting here is the way the existence of Jackson Roykirk Plaza seems to establish his importance to the Star Trek version of the early 21st century space programs. In Star Trek history, Jackson Roykirk would have been a big space probe guy in 2002, which means 22 years later – in 2024, it seems reasonable that there would be a space travel plaza named after him. Jackson Roykirk also appeared in canon as an archival photograph in Spock's library computer and was played by the frequent TOS director Mark Daniels. Presumably, Jackson Roykirk could still be alive in this version of 2024, but if they named the entire plaza after him, probably not. I don't know. Never know. Never know. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I mean, there's things named after people who are still alive, so why yeah. not? Oh, yeah. Sure. Maybe he donated a heck of a lot of money to get that plan. Yeah, that's way of doing. yeah. <laughs> Not sure. that that happens or anything. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. So a little, we got a little Dixon Hill and 12 Monkeys action. In the same scene at the end of The Watcher, Q is speaking and seemingly trying to implant a suggestive notion into the young woman's mind. A woman, Penelope Mitchell, uh, Vampire Diaries, who yep. appears to be wearing a shirt associated with the Europa mission, is reading a book called The Pallid Sun by Tracy Torme. This is not a real book, because when you look closely, you'll see that The Pallid Sun is a Dixon Hill mystery. First intro- look at you, Dixon Hill. Yep. <laughs> First introduced in the Next Generation episode, The Big Goodbye, Dixon Hill is a fictional detective who appears in various hard-boiled detective novels of the 1930s. Man, they're obsessed with our centuries. Yes. <laughs> in our universe, there is no action actual Dixon Hill novels because he was invented by the next generation writer Tracy Torme, who penned The Big Goodbye. Although the next generation's first season is generally considered to be the rockiest of all, and I didn't like the uniforms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Big Goodbye was notable because it was an episode from that inaugural season that received a Peabody Award for Excellence in Television. The episode also gave the Star Trek canon the concept that Picard was really into a Philip Morrow-esque private detective. He just likes wearing trench coats. Yes. <laughs> and the hat. Yeah, and the hat. Earlier in the same episode, Dr. Gerardi says to Picard, look at you, Dixon Hill, as Picard starts to put uh, the pieces of a mystery together. Who is the, Who this woman is and what Q wants for her isn't quite clear, but I think we pretty know, much know by now. She's credited as being Renee Picard. The fact that she likes this Dixon Hill novel could be suggestive of the time travel shenanigans. Or it's just in there. <laughs> Their genetic makeup. Yes. <laughs> generation after generation love with Dixon Hill. The title of the book is The Pallid Sun, which is uh, not one of the previously mentioned Dixon Hill novels from the next generation. Instead, the title probably mentions a 12-monthly character, The Pallid Man, who in that series was born as a result of a complex time travel. The sci-fi 12-monkey series was produced by Terry Metellus, the co-showrunner for Picard Season 2 and Season 3. Thank goodness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I saw that and I went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely good news that Terry's staying around for season three. Yeah, he cares. Yes, he, he does. He pulls stuff so obscure and brings it to the forefront and then explains it like 12 episodes later. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> so I, I'm sure he's got one of those crazy boards with string on it in his office right now. Oh, absolutely he does. <laughs> well, any other thoughts on this episode? <sighs> well, I'm, I'm anxious for the next one because I, I want to see uh, this Laris in air quotes and how right. she, she fits in with Picard. She obviously knows a lot more of what's going on in time and space than he does. Oh, absolutely. 
Makes you wonder what all the successive generations and their own watchers have dealt with. I wonder if they're going to fill that in. I doubt it. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's oh. an interesting thought, though. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, sorry. Go on. Go on. Did we think that the younger version of Guinan was close enough to what we know of Guinan, or was it a little too much? I, I liked her speech pattern. I, I yes. can tell. That that's the closest I think she got to acting like the, the Guinan we know. Right. The similar speech patterns. I liked her. Um Obviously, I'm seeing way more emotion than we've seen in Guinan, you know, in the uh, next generation and beyond. Right. So I think she's still learning a lot of things and a lot more well, and is affecting yeah, you, her here. Right. You got to remember that, you know, if Picard first met her in the 1800s and now we're 2024. So what? You're talking... 1100 years or so yeah i might get a little uh fed up with <laughs> earth as well a couple hundred years yeah seeing that um the form she chose or the color well, of her skin has been <laughs> yeah well, maybe not, she shouldn't be a bartender that's true <laughs> not gonna too. attract the most desirable people all the time especially if it's down the end of an alley yeah <laughs> Well, as always, our friend Fred from the Netherlands has provided his thoughts on the episode. So let's see what kind of goodness he has for us this episode. Hello, Steve and Dave and all listeners to the Fangirl Zone. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 4. I gave this episode an 8 on IMDb. I think they did a very nice job to get a younger guy in here. I think they picked a good actor for it. The interaction between Jarati and the Borg Queen is very nice. And in another way, the interaction between Seven and Rafi is also nice. The Rios story didn't bring too much to, into the story. I really wonder if he will see the young doctor back. Him telling the truth to this uh, police officer is really funny. Reminded me a little bit of the series Lucifer. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he is always saying, I'm the devil. And of course, nobody believes him. I didn't like the car chase that much. I'm not in car chases anyhow, but feels so unreal to see a car chase in Star Trek. It's too awkward. Of course, it's nice to put such an element which you normally could never put into a Star Trek episode that you are able to put it here. But nevertheless, not really my thing. And then this watcher that shortly goes into other people's body to send a message reminds me also of something. I think something like that happened in the series Travelers. The main theme about Travelers is that people from the future or consciousness of people in the future travel to our time and then inhabit the bodies of people that are just diseased. But they also have a kind of messengers and these messengers do more or less the same as here this watcher with these people. And because their eyes turn white, just to signal if they are inhabited by the Watcher, yes or no, makes it also a bit gruesome, a bit ghost-like, a bit horror-like. So we get a lot of genres here mixed into Star Trek. Uh, police stories, car chases, ghost stories, etc. A bit strange was that the Watcher is actually Laris. Well, 
kind of human version of it. I don't know if this was just done because they want to get the actress Orla Brady, who is very nice, into also this 2024 story. Bit, a bit far-fetched, a bit strange, but perhaps we get a better explanation of that. Okay, that will be all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Well, as always, Fred, we really appreciate your feedback. Yeah, I'm sure all your questions will be answered in the next episode, Fred. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm wondering if questions will be answered at the end of the season. Come on. Right. Yeah, one more season after this, right? Yes, we have three seasons. And it's in the can already, too, I think you said. Yes. Huh. Absolutely. Now, what do you guys think about the young Guinan? I thought she was great. Yeah, I did, too. I liked her. her. Yeah, I like how they portrayed her and... How she didn't have, I want to say, like the calm and hope that she had when we first seen her. Because right. she's seeing everything now, like yeah. the realities of the world. So I'm liking how they did that and how she ends up growing and changing. Yeah. A lot of social commentary on how much our society sucks. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Whenever they go back in time, we really see how bad uh, things yeah. are here. <laughs> Yeah, and hopefully we'll get an explanation as to what Orla Brady being the the watcher is all about by the end of the season. I don't think we'll get it anytime soon, but... Well, maybe it'll be the next season or uh, part of a cliffhanger or something like that. Yeah, could be. And it still confuses me that, yeah, we see this watcher jumping into people and the, the eyes go gray, but we never see it on... Orla Brady's character. I thought we were going to, too. Yeah. So something still not quite jiving with what she actually is yet. <sighs> That's not a way to tell us. Get answers on that, though? Uh, I don't know. Starting I, to worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we know that Gary Seven was actually a human working for aliens, and I'm kind of thinking that Tannen is the same, but it's got me confused. That's for sure. And I can understand you not being a big fan of the car chase, but I don't think it was so much the car chase that was the best part of it. It was the back and forth between Seven and Rafi that was the gold. (laughs) True, true. (laughs) Well, as always, Fred, we always appreciate hearing your thoughts on each and every episode and looking forward to hearing what you think about the next one. Thanks, Fred. All right. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 10 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback, be it email or audio, to contact us at fangirlzone.com. You can also go over to www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contacts link where you can find all the ways to get a hold of us via email and social media. Our Twitter handles, so you can tweet with us and just throw out your ideas about what's going on, is at Steve at the real underscore ID underscore Dave, at Jetta528, or at FGZ Podcast. FGZ? FGZ. Yeah. FGZ. FGZ. It's like LMNLP. Please review and rate us on iTunes. Good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us, as there are a lot of Star Trek Picard podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and I hope you like our podcast. Don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. 
The fifth episode is on March 31st and is titled, Who the Hell Knows It's Not Tuesday Yet. <laughs> it's called that would be hilarious the if the that's what it was. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so until then, remember. You better run before I kick you in the head. <laughs> this is Chief Engineer Steve. I can just imagine a little Picard wandering around here saying, milk, chocolate, hot. Sure, he knows how to get him. Yes, she does. And this is Red Shirt Dave. And thanks to Rios, I'm going to change my poor name to Crystal Balls. 